so much, team. You got your Bibles. Colossians chapter 3 is where we are going to be walking through, continuing to walk through this letter uh, that the Apostle Paul, great missionary, great church planter, wrote to this young, growing, thriving church in a place called Colossae. And as you're turning there, Colossians chapter 3, um, I would imagine that as many of you walked into or opened the door to your closets, there are all kinds of categories of clothes in there. There are clothes you wear. There are clothes you sometimes wear. There are clothes you never wear. Uh, there are clothes in there that, uh, that, that uh, they don't fit anymore. So, so those are there. And then there are also there's those clothes that like people in your family wish didn't fit you anymore because they're hideous or, or, or really ugly. Uh, I have a vacation shirt that, that I wear on vacation, and it's the only place that I wear it because uh, it's safe to wear there, right? It's got coconuts and palm trees and all that on it. It's comfy. Uh, well, well, there's even a show, and I haven't watched a full episode, so uh, it's called What Not to Wear, uh, but evidently the, this the show, they find these people who, I guess, dress hideously. They roast them. I mean, they like, they like go overboard like on how horrible they're dressing. And then basically their whole goal is out with the old. So they're getting all the old clothes. They're throwing them out. And there's this new clothing that puts on. And then they're reunited with family and friends. And it's this really big like, oh my goodness. And, and this transformation that takes place. Well, this, this is clothing language, and, and Paul, in this letter, and in these verses that we're walking through, he's going to use clothing language to teach us a very, very important truth, actually several truths. And, and as we get started, it is going to be very important to remember this kind of one, even one truth as we're walking through, and that is this. Paul, in this letter, is not writing to people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. In this letter, he's not writing to, uh, to the, the, uh, the ungodly. That in this letter, he's not writing to people who are far from God. That in this letter that we're reading, he is writing to the church. So he's writing to those people who have had that time and that place in their life where they have acknowledged their need for a Savior... And they have turned from their self and sin and they have turned to Christ and Christ alone for salvation. He's writing to the church and to the church. Here's what he's going to tell us. He's going to say out with the old, out with the old. There's another part of that phrase that that's out with the old in with the new. We're going to get there next week. OK, but but today is all about out with the old. And what Paul is doing is, is he is writing this church. Again, they have a strong faith in Christ. They love the Lord. They love each other. They're bearing fruit. They're increasing. They're growing. They're on fire for the Lord. And there are no doubt false teachers, pressures on the outside. And there are, there are false teachers inside. They're trying to take captive their hearts, hijacking the gospel. He's told us about this. But in this letter, he's going to get very, very practical and the very, very practical teaching is, is that in Christ, there are, there are behaviors, there are habits, there are hangups that, that, that don't fit a believer. They don't, they don't fit anymore. So we shouldn't try wearing them. They don't fit us out with the old. This is where he's going. And so as a believer, the believer is living in two realities, okay? 
As a believer, you are, you are walking in the spiritual. In other words, when you have a relationship with Jesus, that the Bible teaches He forgives us all of our trespasses and that He has disarmed the enemy. So in other words, sin and self no longer have the power to rule and reign in your life unless you allow it to. Because of the finished work of Christ, He cuts the power cord. He disarms them. And not only that, but He gifts us the gift of His Holy Spirit to indwell our lives to empower us to live a life that brings glory to Him. So as a believer, we're living in the spiritual, but we're also living in the earthly. In other words, we're living out this new life in the same old flesh. And we understand struggle and we understand temptation. We all experience that. But for the believer who has a relationship with Jesus, we are no longer under the rule and reign of sin. I love Colossians 3.3. It says we've been hidden in Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul's talking to the Galatian church. He says this, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And he gave himself for me. And so I love, if there's a theme verse to Colossians, Colossians 2.10 says, We are filled in him, or we are complete in him. In other words, in Christ. That Christ has equipped us with His Holy Spirit and His grace and His power to, to mold us and shape us into who He has created us to be. He, is, he has gifted us with everything needed to become all that He has called us to be. And so what He's going to do in these few verses, verses 5 through 9, He's going to talk through two real categories of, of old clothing for the believer of old habits, old hang-ups. That, that, and, and it's important, too, that I want to I be quick to just say this. It could be that a non-believer is listening in or maybe even watching. And, and as I'm about to kind of get into these categories of, of sin and, and, and sinful behavior, it's tempting to maybe say, see, I, I knew it. Being a believer, it's just a bunch of rules. It's just about a bunch of stuff that you're not supposed to do. And so I knew what that was about. But here's what I would encourage us all with. Is that we are absolutely about to walk through a text that very clearly and plainly says, put this to death and put this away. We're going to talk through that. But what I hope we all hear through the text is not rules, but rather a heavenly father who loves his children and who desires to protect them who desires to have his best for them, that he has a design and he has a plan and that by his grace, when you live out what we're about to walk through, that you will experience his blessing. And what I hear ringing through the text is his protection, his protection, his blessing, his blessing. And so I don't know about you, but I'm thinking we're all in the same boat where as believers, I would say, I want his blessing. I want to honor him. I want to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, which is what Paul's really talking through, walking through. And so here's, here's he begins with chapter 3, verse 5. He's talking about two categories. One's more private, one's more public. One's more private, one's more public. In chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says this. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He literally is saying to kill this. 
to kill this. Believers must take decisive action to put sin to death. And that we would bring our flesh and its sinful desire under the spirit-filled lordship of Jesus Christ. He is saying, take extreme measures to kill what I'm about to talk about. Yesterday, I, I had a blast. Went with some guys and shot some clays uh, down around Sardis yesterday. Uh, and I may or may not have a bruise on my shoulder. And I will not tell you how many I didn't hit yesterday. Okay, but, but here's the thing. They, 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 you say pull, they fire the clay. What am I trying to do? I, I am trying to lock in on this moving target and I am trying to destroy it. Like I'm not trying to nick it. I'm not trying to get ahead of it or get behind it. I'm literally, I'm trying to lock in on this thing and I'm trying to destroy it. And this is the picture. Paul, Paul is wanting to help believers understand what we're about to talk about. I want you to kill it. I want you to put it to death. Put to death what is earthly in you. And he begins with sexual immorality. Now, I don't want to demonize in any way sexual desire. Sexual desire is a gift from God. God gifts it. God created it. God made it. But he created it with an order. He created it with an order. And so in light of this text, what, what the Bible's talking about, what God's talking about through Paul is like, in the midst of this, he's talking about any sexual activity outside of the bond of marriage between a man and a woman. And not only that, but adultery is in view. And not only that, but prostitution is in view. Not only that, any, any sexual activity outside of the bond of marriage is to be killed. Taking something before you're ready instead of giving everything when it's time. I want you to think about that. When you think of, 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 of sex outside of the marriage covenant, this is taking something before you're ready instead of giving everything when it's time. When a believer has sex outside of the bond of marriage, it's not a sign of deep love. It's not a sign of deep commitment. It's not a sign that the relationship is moving forward or progressing. It's a sign that you've decided to take something from someone else before it's time. It's giving, instead of giving everything to them, when it is time. And so there's this broad range that, that Paul is saying, you see this? You see this activity? Remember, he's talking to the church. That's the thing. We got to keep remembering that. He's not talking to the young God. He's talking to believers in the church. And he's saying, put it to death. The Bible strictly forbids any sexual activity outside the marriage bond between a man and a woman. Why? Not because Christianity is a set of rules. It's because it's a relationship and it's because he loves us and it's because he wants what's best for us and it's because he wants to protect us. There is grace and grace abounds. Grace abounds. Praise God for his amazing grace. But what Paul is talking about here is as in the believer's life, this needs to be put to death. First Thessalonians 4, 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. The same word here for sexual immorality is the same word that we get the, the word pornography from. And if statistics are true, the statistics say 64% of men view pornography at least one time a month. That 54% of born-again Christian men view pornography at least once a month. If statistics are true, one in six Christian women struggle with pornography. 
If statistics are true, the average age of first exposure to pornography is 11 years old. That if statistics are true, 47%, almost half of every Christian household says this. They say pornography is a problem in their home. And so this isn't just something that the church struggled with hundreds of years ago. But this is a message for us today. Because the enemy would love in this hidden secret way to rob you, to isolate you, to fuel shame around your life, to erode the trust of relationships that you have around you, to ruin your relationships. Just recently, uh, a couple that my wife and I invested in and have invested in and continue to invest in reached out to us. The bride was broken Tears, not understanding what's going on, what's happening, discovered that her husband had a, an addiction to pornography. I talked with the husband, loved that brother. We're walking through a restoration process. But he said this, he said, it's been an addiction since I was a teenager. And I've kept it hidden all this time. And what happens is, is over time, it has eroded and caused that issue. And now it was... The enemy through that trying to destroy that relationship. But yet there is great grace. Grace abounds in Christ. And they are walking through a path of restoration right now. But not without the attempt of the enemy to steal and to kill and to destroy that relationship. And so this message is for the church today. It's for the church. And what Paul's saying, he's like, listen, that doesn't fit you anymore. Sexual immorality, it doesn't fit. Out with the old. He goes on and he talks about impurity. This is more of a general term. It's moving beyond the act to more of the thoughts and intentions and motives. In other words, before something is acted out upon, it starts way earlier than that. It begins in the mind. There's a battle for the mind. The way we act begins in the mind. Unchecked sexual desire outside of God's design will set a destructive direction for your life because here are principles that are true direction will or excuse me desire will determine your direction appetites will lead to action desire will lead to deeds and so it all starts in the mind the battle for the mind and Paul said this to the Thess to the church in Thessalonica he said God has not called us for impurity but in holiness it doesn't fit you anymore. It's out with the old. Doesn't fit you. Doesn't look good on you. Out with the old. He goes on to talk about passion and evil desire. Passion dealing more maybe with the action where evil desire again speaks to the intentions. If unchecked, it's like dominoes. Once one falls, another falls, another falls, another falls. And you just see that domino effect. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this in James 1, verse 14 and 15. He says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived and gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Somebody said this quote. I've heard it multiple times, but I believe it to be true. It says this, it's been said that sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Get burned every time. Passion, evil, desire, it doesn't fit you. Out with the old. He goes on and talks about covetousness. This is kind of the catch-all. Really, this is the root of all 
really sin, all behaviors outside of the will and design of God. Because what it says is, I want more and I want it now. I want it more and I want it now. It's the root, isn't it? Covetousness to God. And this sounds a little like harsher, but, but I believe it to be true. Because here's what happens with covetousness. Covetousness, when I covet, I say to God, I know what you say, but I don't care what you say. It says to God, I don't care about your design. I know what you've shared your design is. I don't care about your design. It says, I don't care that you want to protect me. It says that I don't care that, that you want to give me your best because I want this, I want this now. And so, in, in, in kind, of a, uh, a kind of a twist, what's really happening is that instead of seeking and honoring God, what happens is we are putting ourselves in the place of worship because we are providing ourselves what we want and what we desire instead of what God wants and what God's desire. When people sin at the base, it's saying, I want what I want instead of what God wants. And it's worshiping of ourselves. That's idolatry. Any object, person, place, or thing that is placed in the place of God and that our lives revolve around that thing, that is an idol. Anything that's not God is an idol. He goes on to say in verse 6, he says, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath is God coming. Wrath is God's constant reaction to sin. Arthur Pink describes God's wrath as his eternal detestation of all unrighteousness. That it's the holiness of God stirred into activity against sin. Romans 2.5 says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteousness will be revealed. In Romans 1.18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And here is the blessing and the good news for the believer, is that in Christ and through a relationship with Christ, we have been delivered from the wrath of God. This is what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. That when Jesus was on the cross, God the Father poured out His wrath against sin on Christ for us. So that we can be gifted Christ's righteousness and hidden in Him. Believers have been delivered. And so this is why for believers we would say we want no part. This is why this doesn't fit. It doesn't fit us. Sin brings wrath, not blessing. What believer who loves God would want to participate in those things that hurt the heart of God? Those clues, those clothes don't fit us anymore. Why would children of God want to act like children of wrath? Those things don't fit us. They don't fit believers. And so Paul says this, put it to death, kill it, put it to death. In verse seven, he says, in these, these you too once walked. And when you were living in them. In other words, um, a, a pastor of, uh, of mine when I was growing up, I just thought about uh, this last hour. But he used to say, I know I'm dialing some numbers and ringing some bells this morning. Uh, and I never heard that saying, but this is what Paul's doing. Paul is dialing numbers and he's ringing bells. And, and because listen to what he says. He's talking about you too. He's making it personal. In these you too once walked. 
when you were living in them. And so he's like, listen, that's your past. These clothes don't fit you anymore. That's why you came to Christ, to be delivered, to be delivered. Why would anyone who's been made rich in Christ want to live in the slums? Christ has delivered us. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says, We were buried, those in Christ, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. That's what we just shared earlier today in Cana's baptism. It's that symbol, it's that picture. We're raised to walk in newness of life. And so Paul says, put to death, kill these sensual desires. It's protection, not rules. It's protection. God's design, God's best, God's heart, God's will, God's design. He wants to bless. And what he's going to do is he's going to move kind of from this hidden category to a more public category. And he's going to talk about putting away the social evils. Now again... It's good to just be reminded of this. He's talking to the church. <laughs> I feel like we almost, I almost need to be reminded of that as I'm walking through this. Because he's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of Christ. Evidently, nobody had it all together. And I can relate. Evidently, as believers, by God's grace, we're works in progress. Right? And so there are struggles, there are temptations. And so, so he's moving from the hidden and he's going to move more to the public by talking about these social evils. And what's challenging about this is that these can become so normal that we lose, as believers, our disdain for these socials. We can. He says in verse 8, he says, but now you must put them all away. So he's, he's moving into that more public category. And he's put them away. Just like at the end of almost every day, our kids, we say... Get the dirty clothes, put them away. Right? This is Paul saying, saying the, these habits, these hang-ups, it's time to put them away. They don't fit you anymore. He says, but now you must put them away. And he begins with anger. This is deep, resentful bitterness. It's an attitude that is chosen. Ephesians 4.31, Paul said, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is so good. This is the gospel to us. This is the gospel we need to hear, is that we are reminded what Christ and the grace that he's shown toward us and that we would show that grace to others. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says in James 1.19, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so, so put these away. They don't fit you anymore. They don't fit. They don't look good. Anger, he talks about wrath. If anger deals with the kind of a settled attitude, wrath would speak of that sudden outburst of anger, like an eruption. If you think about a volcano... And you see it brewing, and it's building, and it's building, and it's building. And then there's this eruption. Paul says that wrath, these eruptions of wrath, they don't fit the believer. The old is put away. To out with the old. He talks about malice. J.B. Lightfoot says it this way. He says the that malice is the vicious nature which is bent on doing harm to others. They don't fit you. This doesn't fit you. Malice doesn't fit you. Wrath doesn't fit you. Anger doesn't fit you. He talks next about slander. 
that this is oftentimes the fruit of anger, wrath, and malice, but it's making a false statement in order to damage another person's reputation. And so it is, a, it is a, almost like a premeditated decision to say something false in order to hurt another person. And Paul's saying, listen, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit a believer's life. It doesn't look good on a believer's life. Put it away. People are to be treated with dignity. Not because of what they did or did not do to us, but or what they didn't say or did say, but it's because they are made in the image of God. And our speech must be characterized not by insults or disparaging remarks. James says this about our tongue. He says this about our tongue in James 3.10. He says that our tongue or our words can be a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. These, these social evils, they don't look good on a believer's life. They're to be out with the old. He goes on to talk about obscene talk from our mouth. This speaks of abusive speech. Abusive speech is anything, any word, any statement that is designed to hurt another person. Ephesians 5, 4 says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. He's talking to the church. Those don't fit. They don't look good on us. Obscene talk from your mouth. And then in verse 9, he says this, and do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Since the beginning, lies have been set in place or set in motion. And it's, it's like a fire. And it can lead to hurt and to harm and to pain and to destruction. Listen to this. In Genesis chapter 3, right out of the gate, Satan lied in deceiving Adam and Eve. Then Cain lied to God after murdering Abel. Then Abraham lied, claiming Sarah was his sister instead of his wife. Then Sarah lied to the three angelic visitors in Genesis 18, 15, and then to the king of Gerar in Genesis 25. Isaac lied by denying that Rebekah was his wife, and Rebekah and Jacob lied in their conspiracy to defraud Esau of his birthright. By the way, we haven't even made it out of Genesis. <laughs> All right, We haven't even made it out of Genesis, and you just see, you see this pattern, you see this, this fire that can be set by lies. And Jesus, the words of Jesus, he says this in John 8, 44, talking about the enemy. He says this, he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is not truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so for a believer to speak lies, that we are imitating the father of lies that we are imitating the enemy, that we are imitating Satan when the Bible calls us by God's grace and His strength to be imitators of Christ. And so these lies, these lies hurt, these lies cause pain. And Paul says lies don't fit the believer. They don't fit. They don't look good. Put them away. Put them away. These sensual sins, these social sins, to, to cling to those as a believer, it's like wearing grave clothes. Those, those clothes are to be left in the, in the old, in the tomb, the old self, raised to walk in newness of life. But I mentioned we're new creations in Christ. 
And we continue to live in a broken world with broken flesh. And so I want to talk through a little bit about that. What does that look like? Because temptation and struggle are real. When, I, when uh, my, my lovely bride and I, we moved here from Florida, and uh, every, every day on the way to the church, I would drive by this house. I shared this with the men at our, at our breakfast last weekend. But, but I, love, I, I love this house. Um, I thought it was so awesome. My kids call it the tree house. There's literally a house built around a tree. <laughs> I mean, if you can see it, I don't know if you can see it super close, but actually, the, the, I mean, it was the design. The design was to build around the tree. And so you can even see in the roof, they've kind of cut a hole in it, and it kind of, it's on the front porch, and they kind of built an area around there. And, and, and so this whole house is built around this tree. Now, somewhere along the way, this moved from being a really good idea to a really bad idea. And, and I meant to say this. I'm super sorry if you have a, a, a house with a tree growing through it. Okay, uh, please don't take offense. But, but, but here's the thing. If we could zoom in, what you would see is the foundation of the home is literally bent upward toward the tree. In other words, the foundation, it, it's, it's, it's shot. It's continuing it's continuing to deteriorate. The limbs are actually penetrating the roof in areas where you can't really tell. And, and what's happening is over time, it's been a slow go, but over time what has happened is this tree has slowly eroded the foundation of this home. And in a matter of time, it's a matter of time, I don't know when, but in a matter of time, this home will crumble. It's going to happen. And so the question is this, is I almost think about this as a believer's life or anyone's life for that matter. And, and whether it's a, a pet struggle, a pet sin, or whether it's these strongholds in our life, which strongholds are very real, okay, whatever that might be, you have the stronghold in your life. And, and for whatever reason, you're like, okay, like I see it and I acknowledge it, but I'm going to build my life around it. I'm going to cut some holes. I'm going to build some protective berries around here. So hopefully it's not going to interfere with anything else in my life. But what happens is that is impossible to happen. Because what's going to happen is if you strive to build your life around this tree, in time the tree is going to erode the foundation of the home. And it's only a matter of time. When what you need is you need somebody who knows what they're doing <laughs> to come to the rescue who knows what to do about big trees, who knows how to cut them up, dig them up from the roots and get rid of them and rebuild some solid foundation there so that the home can be salvaged and the home can be saved. And I believe with all my heart, this is a picture that Paul is helping this young church walk through because evidently there were struggles in the house. And, and he even acknowledged in his own writings I do things that I don't want to do. <laughs> I wish I didn't. I mean, it's just this tension and this struggle. But the encouragement and the challenge today is to the church. Are there any trees that we have built our lives around that need to be identified and need to be destroyed so that we can have a solid foundation? I want to wrap up by talking about four action steps. And that if you resonate with, with this teaching that Paul's like, listen, these have no place in the believer's life. They, they, they don't fit. They don't look good. Uh, that, then, then these are some practical steps that help us address those areas in our life. The first thing is this, is that 
We would own it. Own it. My kids, if they, were, they were all in the 8 a.m. service. Elijah's still here. Uh, they probably would, would like be like, oh, I've heard that before. <laughs> we, we say that a lot. We talk about owning it. Because until you own it, nothing's going to happen. Until you just keep ignoring it and keep suppressing it and keep it hidden and keep it at bay, then, then, then to be able to walk in freedom from that is going to continue to be a stronghold. And so it starts with owning it. I love this little phrase. And it's that whatever we cover, God uncovers. But whatever we uncover, God covers. Sin loses power when you bring it into the light. And so we own it. We acknowledge the stronghold. We acknowledge the struggle. We acknowledge the sin. Whatever that thing is, we own it. But a second truth is not just owning it, but it's recognizing. Two things for the believer that we recognize is one is that if you have a relationship with Jesus, you would recognize your relationship with Christ, but you would also recognize your position in Christ. In other words, he's already taught us through Colossians. Listen, for all those who are in Christ, listen, you have been forgiven all of your trespasses, all of your sin. You have been forgiven. So be reminded of that. You've been forgiven in Christ. But not only that, but he goes on to share how he has disarmed the rulers and authorities. In other words, you are no longer under the rule and reign as a believer of sin and self. Christ, through his finished work on the cross, he cut the power cord. So unless you're there trying to stick the power back in, it has no power over you. You've been forgiven. The enemy's been disarmed. And not only that, but as a believer, he gifts you with the presence of his Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to convict you, yes, to comfort you, to be, I love how Jesus describes, as the helper. The helper. The Holy Spirit is the helper. So to realize that when you own it, but you recognize that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that verse. Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation. You say, what's the difference? Condemnation and conviction are two totally different things. Condemnation says you are a loser. You are paralyzed. You cannot experience victory. You're paralyzed. Conviction, totally different. The enemy condemns. The Holy Spirit convicts. The the Holy Spirit breaks of our sin because it hurts a holy God. But it doesn't paralyze us. It actually moves us forward. It doesn't say, remember who you were. It says, remember who you are. You are forgiven. The enemy's disarmed. You're hidden in Christ. That changes everything. So the Holy Spirit convicts us. It's a gift from God. The enemy tries to condemn. So you own it. You recognize it. But then you repent of it. You repent. Repent can be described as a change in direction. It's like I'm heading this way and it is stopping and it is turning the other direction and it is going another direction. It can also be defined as a change of mind. Because what happens is sometimes sin can be treated more like a donut than a cobra. It's like, you know, it's not good for you. You know, it's bad, but, you know, it tastes good. So I want a donut. But but rather it is a it is a cobra that will that will strike you and it will try to kill you. And so there's a big difference there. And so it's, it's owning it. It's recognizing. It's changing your mind about it. And then lastly would just be practical application of acting. And that would be grace-empowered, faith-filled action. And this is where it's tailor-designed for whatever that need might be in your life. Because what it might be is you need to have 
a, a tough conversation with your spouse. It might be you need to have a tough conversation with your brother or your sister. It might be that you need to have a tough conversation with your parent. It might be that as a brother, you need to go to another brother and you need to say, hey man, I am struggling. It might be that a sister needs to go to another sister and say, I'm struggling. It might be that you need professional Christian counseling. I'm a big proponent of counseling. And I'll just say this, we, we have four children and, and we have had challenges. And, and for, I don't know, past five years, six years, we have, we have gone to counseling to help us along the way because we're in over our head. We need help. And so, and so here's the thing. It's like God can use all of that. You need a battle plan. It might be that, that uh, you know, um, I love Cracker Barrel. I took the kids to Cracker Barrel yesterday. We wore those biscuits out. They were so good. But, but if you have a problem with biscuits and you don't need to eat biscuits, don't go to Cracker Barrel, right? So, so, so game plan. This is a problem for me, so I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. And so it's this battle plan. But here's what I would say would be the essential piece. And I'm wrapping up with this. Is that you would allow the word of God to dwell in you richly. That's what Colossians 3.16 says. We're getting there. We're almost there. We're in verse 9 right now. But we're going to get to verse 16. He's like, listen. The word of God is essential. It's essential. I love what Paul says in Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Here it is. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember, it starts here way before it makes its way outside. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of God is essential. I love it's Psalm 119, 9 through 11. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commands. Your word I have hidden in my heart. Then I might not sin against God. The word of God is essential. And so, as we pray, we're going to have a time of response. And uh, I just want you to know, we're going to have pastors down front that would love the opportunity to pray with you, pray for you, pray for your family. The altar is open. If you would be moved and desire to pray there, uh, make your pew the altar, whatever that might be. But here's my encouragement would be, would you just open up your heart and would you allow the Holy Spirit to apply His Word to your heart and that you would be reminded of His incredible love and of His incredible grace and of his incredible forgiveness that is found in him. And if there are gigantic trees growing through our house, that it is time to uproot them and to move them out and allow Christ to restore that foundation and have a healthy, a healthy home, a healthy relationship with the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. God, thank you so much for this letter. Thank you so much for loving us enough to give us this letter, this teaching, this doctrine. That, Father, that it is not, that, that there is a, a very much a practical living out aspect of our faith. And so whether it's the sensual or whether it's the social, that, Father, these, these, these things don't fit the, the new life. It's time to be out with the old. 
that those don't look good on the believer. They don't fit the believer. And so, Father, whatever it might be that someone might be struggling with, God, I pray that by your grace they would bring it to the light and that, Father, that you would do a mighty work of grace and redemption and cleansing and forgiveness and healing. Because, God, in you we are complete. We're hidden in you. And for someone who may be here and they, they see the tree, they understand the strongholds, they understand this, this, this moving away from your design is, is sin and that it leads to brokenness every single time, that, Father, that there would be this acknowledgement of, of owning it, seeing it, but also realizing their need for forgiveness and their need for a relationship with God. That's what you want. You want a relationship. And so, Father, if there's anybody here who doesn't have a relationship with you, that today would be the day of salvation. That today they would acknowledge that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, Father, your word tells us, but you demonstrate your love toward us. And that while we, we, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We couldn't do it on our own, so you made a way. You made a way where there was no way. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you're here, with, apart from a relationship with Jesus, I pray today you would give your heart to Jesus. So God, I pray that you would work and move and do a work of revival in our hearts. God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to stand together. And again, pastors will be here. The altar is open. Believer, if you're here and you're like, there are no trees in my house, can I just encourage you to pray for the lost? Pray for those who don't know Jesus. Pray that they will begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're here and you need Jesus, may today be the day of salvation.